0: Welcome to the Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams, and I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com/slash The Next Track, and thanks.
1: This week, we would like to welcome a person that the BBC Music Magazine called strangely fascinating, Catherine Williams, who is a flute player. Catherine, thanks for joining us.
2: Pleasure to be here.
1: So, we have learned that Catherine was born in Ohio and now lives in Manchester in the UK. And I heard you on the radio about 10 days ago, and I kind of thought, well, you must be British because you got a bit of Britishism, but you're not really. So, you're kind of like me, you're one of these, you know, exiled Americans.
2: An expat, and and just to make my life even more uh, confusing, I was born in Wisconsin. Oh, and and spent sort of twelve years there, and then we moved to Ohio.
1: Okay, so a cheesehead.
2: I'm a cheesehead, Packer fan. Yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> the reason I wanted to have you on, as I said, I heard you on a BBC Sounds program, The Listening Service: Music and Breathing. The show was about how the breath is important in music, and there were there was a singer, and there was yourself, and then there was a presenter talking about how breath informs music, creates phrasing, etc., and you also have a, a, a personal history that brought you to a point where you are commissioning very unique works for Flute. But let me just talk a little bit about why this interests me so much. So, I have mild asthma. It's not too serious. And about two and a half years ago, I started playing the shakuhachi, And I had never played a woodwind instrument before in my life. I've played guitar and keyboard, viola de gamba, things like that. And what I find fascinating is that the progression over time of not only perfecting the instrument, and I'm still a beginner after two and a half years. If you've ever played one, it's not an easy instrument, but the fact that just playing it has improved my breathing capacity. When I started, I could play a note for maybe five seconds. And, of course, a lot of that's not having a good embouchure. But I can easily play a note for 20 seconds now, which is nothing compared to what you do. So maybe start with your physical problems that led you to where you are now.
2: Sure. Well, I'm really glad, first of all, that your your um, your notes are getting longer and longer. That's great. Um, yeah, so um, I started to get very serious about the flute from like the age of twelve back in the in the states, and um, sort of was on track to to become an orchestral player and so or soloist that's that's sort of the the trajectory I was on. I had the opportunity to move here to Manchester back in two thousand and seven to study on a full scholarship at the Royal Northern College of Music, um to study with the Peter Lloyd, who was principal flute of the LSO for. 20 plus years. Um, and so I, I came over here with my flute and some books and uh, I think one or two suitcases. And now that is uh, 13 years ago. And I haven't. Um, so back when I started at the RNCM, um, I really loved the difference in the British Conservatoire. It just seemed Um, it seemed really possible to be a working musician here more than I ever sort of thought was possible in the States. Um, I started to get more like some extra work with orchestras and given lots of recital opportunities and chamber music performances. However, um, I started to get some sinus infections, which would just put me down out of playing for, for a week or two, um. And then they just kept getting worse and worse. And if you've had a cold or allergy in your life, you know that it makes your head feel like it's like on the ceiling or something. It is separate from your body. So when I then needed to be preparing for orchestral auditions or for lessons, I just found everything was wrong. I I couldn't breathe in properly, couldn't breathe in enough. And then it was very noisy. And then um, I couldn't sustain a note for even five seconds. Um, and this condition worsened over the next few years so that I, I had a totally blocked nose. So then this is called um, obstructive inferior turbinates Ooh. Is, is the actual name. So.
1: That's something to put on a business card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So uh, then I couldn't... Um, I couldn't breathe through my nose at all, so that that stopped my ability to taste and to smell, and then, and then obviously the knock-on effect was that I couldn't exercise. I could, I had to take the stairs very slowly. I couldn't eat a sandwich because of the the amount of time I was chewing. So just um. every every single thing that you could imagine that you take for granted, like even sipping a a coffee or something, was just. Just really, really hard.
1: And, and particularly for someone who plays a woodwind instrument. Yeah, obviously. Where, where your life is, is revolving, your your professional and creative life is around your breath.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so the pressure was on in two different ways. So for me, the pressure was on professionally to try and what, what am I supposed to do now? I've been training forever for this. Um, and finally in the state where I could progress with my career but also in a personal way because at that point I was a single parent of what my my daughter was one at the time so I was sort of trying to juggle doing a master's at the RNCM being ill worrying about you know obviously being able to provide for us in the future and then uh sort of the sleepless (laughs) uh the sleepless uh nights and and all of that stuff so it was a really really intense few years for me to try and work out what to do um so I guess out of sheer necessity I just tried to work out well how can I make anything work on the flute now so I I would like rigorously um measure how much air I could I I needed for every register on the instrument so I would do that by um trying to find the like sort of the ground and the ceiling for every note so what can what's the least i can get away with and how much do i have possible and then also playing with the angle of the head joint um and trying to work out in the music where i could get away with taking all these extra breaths that i needed so like for my my Mozart concerto i couldn't make the eight bars that that are standard, for example, eight bars on one breath. Yeah, well, normally, yeah, <laughs> you know the dum bum 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 dum Normally, you'd carry on until the d. That one, yeah, uh, which is the one you have to play for all the auditions. I couldn't do that, so I'd yeah. have to sort of work out how to take a how to take a top up breath then, of course, I would be worried that I'd be so nervous about it that uh, I'd get this loud sound.
1: My shakuhachi teacher calls those cheating breaths.
2: Yeah, the the sort of the top, top ups.
1: Yeah, well, when you just can't make the whole phrase and you need to get a little bit extra.
0: This isn't cheating, though. This is actually trying to do it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
2: yeah. There's a fine line there. And I found that with my teachers, it was really hard to explain that, um... I wasn't trying to like cheat anything or, or anything. It was just my body not being able to do something. And um, some were more sympathetic than others, but I think most people, especially in, in really only have the experience of playing with a cold for a week or so at the at the most. Yeah. So this was like the most extreme breathing condition. And it was constant. There was there was absolutely no relief ever. So I I found little ways of of trying to make it work, okay, but um, and then started to do two different things. One thing was out of out of financial necessity, I approached my daughter's nursery or daycare, as you'd call it, to see if I could do some music sessions for the babies and the toddlers, um, and they they agreed. I had no idea what I was doing with these babies. <laughs> but I had like some shakers and I had my flute and I was sort of like, they just sat there looking at me and um, they had me doing that for six years. I would go in every single week.
1: Um, But the babies must've been fascinated hearing these new sounds.
2: Oh yeah. Like the first day I remember I was like, God, what do I even say? I said, well, nice to meet you all. <laughs> How do you do?
0: <laughs>
2: but then I realized that it's not just the sound, it's every gesture, it's every sure. facial expression. So these these things that normally would just stay behind the instrument to interpret this perfectly, suddenly like they wanted the whole thing. They wanted everything from me as a performer
1: well in an orchestra you have to blend in so yeah th- you don't want any of you to come through other than the music
2: absolutely not yeah and you, you, you know you need to look the same dress the same uh have this absolute same tone color as the person next to you so that was one of the most amazing experiences is starting to work with with the babies and then uh So that thing led on to working with an organization called Life Music Now, which is a charity that brings high quality music performances and workshops to different settings. So then I started to work in a children's hospital on a cardiac ward. So that's with children who, recovering from heart surgery. And I was able to just bring those same things to them, um, but more in a therapeutic way. And these are children who, after their operation, they're, they're too afraid to laugh because they remember the pain and they're afraid to take deep breaths um so I got to develop sort of that end of things a little bit more by sort of doing a trill for one breath and like sort of pretending to faint (laughs) and then so that would make them giggle and then they would realize that you know they could start to laugh again but that was an incredible thing as well so that's a really important side of my practice but then the other thing, which I think is absolutely linked, is that I started to get more into contemporary and experimental music. So you heard on the program that I was playing that Fernie Unity Capsule.
1: Yeah, there'll be a link in the show notes. I think if you're outside the UK, you might not be able to access it. Um,
2: I think my parents listened to it. I mean, you might need to sign up for an account, which is free. But yeah, they might, should be able to.
1: So eventually you had surgery to, I guess, clear up your sinuses. And how did that go? And then what did you do afterwards? It, it's almost like after your surgery, you wanted to get revenge on your breathing difficulties.
2: <laughs> I guess in a way. Yeah. So I was on the waiting list for the operation for for these three years. And then there's a charity in the UK called Help Musicians. And they funded the surgery privately so I could get it done quicker. So I had an inferior turbinate reduction. <laughs> okay so they they were then reduced and um, i remember that i brought my flute to my post op appointment a couple of weeks later to play the um, the opening solo of debussy's la Prémédie d'un forme to the consultant and i was able to do it in one breath that was amazing. Uh, yeah.
1: And and it was this sudden after the operation that all of a sudden you could play again?
2: Absolutely, yeah.
1: So oh. your, your lungs had the capacity, it's just the air couldn't get in well, there.
2: Well, I also do have asthma.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So it was like a, a double whammy. So yeah. my, I don't know about your triggers, but for me it's like dust and smoke. And it's and
1: dust and it's certain kinds of pollen. When, when there's people burning stuff outside, yeah, goes, that's one of them. Right.
2: right Yeah, up. yeah.
1: yeah. So, as, as I said, you wanted to get revenge, so you've started commissioning original pieces for the flute that are up to 40 seconds long that you play on a single breath.
2: Well, there's no time limit, so the only oh. limitation is that it's one breath. So, it's one inhale and one exhale.
1: So, could I write you a piece that's two minutes long and you'd be able to play it?
2: Well, you can try. <laughs> you'd have to.
1: <laughs>
2: so, um, my album coming up for air has got um, 40 pieces that are one breath long uh, that I recorded last July. The shortest one on there is five seconds and the longest one is uh, five and a half minutes. Although that doesn't strictly do it in one in and out. The the longest sort of real performed breath is about two minutes and 26 seconds. Really? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so I think I read someplace, and I forget what the name of, you're one of these people who goes underwater and holds their breath for a long Uh, time?
2: Yes, free diving.
1: Free diving. So you've just like, You've just wanted to kick butt on all the breathing problems, and you've gone like totally to do everything as much as possible now.
2: Yeah, I think that seems to be my way: is to take one <laughs> simple thing and then just keep going until I find an endpoint. And I'm not, not found an endpoint yet. So, so at first it was just a handful of composer friends, like my husband's a composer, and like got lots of friends who are composers to do this one breath idea. And it was just so fascinating and everything was so different. And also the audience reacted in, in this incredible way when I was playing them. They were they were empathizing with my breath. They felt like they couldn't breathe unless I could. Yeah. And there was just mm. this incredible connection. Um and so I opened it up. Uh, it's the, the call for scores is still open. So I've been hearing from people all over the the world and giving um composition workshops like from teens to university but yeah the only stipulation is that it's an, an inhale and exhale or the other way around <laughs> so starting with full emptying and then filling up again but then you know there's a, a massive uh, variety of of responses to what you can do with that so some people wanted to make it as long as possible really sort of stretch my abilities um So they'll add a lot of suspension of breath. So that's when you take in a little bit and perhaps the fingers are still doing something, but I'm not breathing. I'm just waiting. And that can be threaded through the whole breath. So sort of gradually in, waiting for ages and then gradually out. That's very hard. So that's why I needed to start doing some more training.
1: Right. The free diving.
2: Yeah. So I'm now a qualified free diver.
1: And how does one qualify as a free diver? You just go into a swimming pool for a certain length of time?
2: No, <laughs> it's very rigorous. So I trained with uh, apneists UK. So apnea is the act of holding one's breath. Sleep apnea is very...
1: It's involuntary holding of one breath, isn't it? Yes, yeah,
2: so, so apnea is voluntary breath holding, um, which can be practiced on land um, in order to become better of at it in the water. So because of my asthma, I'm only allowed to become a pool diver. Uh, I can't go and dive down in right. shipwrecks, unfortunately. But yes, so for that, I had to be able to, um, it was like a, a full day. And by the end of the day, I had to be able to do static apnea where you're just face down in the water for two minutes. And then dynamic apnea, which is where you're swimming, uh, with fins uh, for at least 40 meters.
1: Wow okay so you, you know you're talking about the audience reaction when you're performing and I think there are I think the percentage of people that have asthma or other breathing difficulties maybe 10% or more so there's a lot of people but if you've never had that sort of problem you don't understand what it can be to not be able to breathe. The the first time I had an asthma attack, it was quite surprising. It sort of came out of the blue. In my case, it was allergic asthma. But it just makes you, what's the best way to say it? You don't know what, you you just flail. It's fear, it really is. And I think most people take breathing for granted, unless they do, say, yoga, where there's breathing or other types of breathing exercises. Most people don't think about it. And what's interesting is you're actually forcing people to think about what the breath is. Do, do you ever, in your performances, have people see how long they can take a breath, hold a breath, anything like that?
2: Oh, you mean like something interactive? Yes. Yeah. So sometimes there's there's one which is um, by Matthew Welton. It's a poem in one in a single breath. So before, like for guest talks, I'll project that. Or give, out, give people paper copies, if that's better. Um, and sometimes we, we try that all as a group, which is nice. And, and I did another concert last year where I put out little um, bottles of bubble mixture um, at every seat. So then everyone could try and do one breath of bubbles together, <laughs> which was wow. quite nice. Um, but a lot of people, even if I don't try to make it interactive, it just kind of... Becomes interactive whether they like it or not. I think
1: I, I can imagine there's a sort of an empathy that yeah. they're seeing you breathe and they're feeling themselves
0: breathing. I just, I and just imagine rows of people uh, leaning forward going, <laughs> like, you know,
2: it is, it is amazing to to be doing it, but sometimes I do, if it's a bit more informal, I'll, I'll make a little announcement at the beginning to say, I'm a trained professional, <laughs> uh, you know. It, you, you might feel an automatic response to only breathe with me, but I really suggest that you try Yeah, breathe as often as you need to, please.
0: Yeah. Breathe on your own, people.
2: <laughs> yeah, but then people say, well, I just feel like I can't. Um, yeah. and, and that's yeah, yeah. a respiratory empathy, which is a really interesting field of study that I've been looking through with my PhD. So
1: the topic of this BBC radio show was the fact that breathing informs a lot more of music than just woodwinds or brasses or, or just performance well no but the, the the person presenting the show was pointing out how the phrasing in piano pieces for instance is based sort of on the human breath obviously all singing is based on the human breath and you get these wonderful things. Like I was thinking in Bach, St. Matthew, Passion, or Dish, you have this lilting soprano melody. And in the background, you've got the violin with these long, sustained tones that go on. And you can almost think that the violin is a long, slow breath, because it's such a minimal thing. It's, what is it, violin, soprano, and continuo. Now, it's true that not all music is based on the breath, but an awful lot is, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that... um I like to think that I've contributed through this project It's kind of contributed a whole like extremely literal version of music and breathing, which is just one breath. Um, but through doing this, I've obviously looked into other pieces that that might use the breath as a starting point. And there's there's lots more than I thought there would be. There's quite a lot that is that is just hold this for one breath, and then move on. Like, yeah. and, and there's a lot of like the text scores, and Pauline Oliveros, and, and meditation-based uh, based things as well. So in your work
1: with compositions, when someone's composing a work for an instrument they don't know, they may not be able to... So I've played guitar for a long time, and there are certain guitar pieces. I'm not very good, but you can tell sometimes that it wasn't a guitarist who wrote the piece, yeah. that that the hand positions just aren't right. Do you get the same sort of thing in some of these pieces that people are composing for a breath? Or is the fact that it's limited to a single breath means that that problem just doesn't even come in?
2: Ooh, um. I just think there are, I've had such a mixture of responses, but the thing that has happened the most is that many composers don't ever think about the inhale. They just sort of, they'll just send me basically right. dots on a page and they'll say, right. oh, there's someone person, well, where, where is the inhale happening? You know, and, and, you know, so much about notated music just assumes the preparation. Mm-hmm. that that's happened and so I'm being very strict with them now and saying you have to think about the inhale there are a range of sounds I could make on the inhale but I really want to drive that home so now there's more than a hundred pieces so I think I like to think that I've influenced at least 100 composers yeah. <laughs> who will now think about the performers and what their bodies have to do in order to perform the things the, the symbols that they put in front of them
1: are, are there a lot of works that you've learned, that you've performed, that are difficult because of catching your breath? In other words, orchestral composers who have these long bits and you don't get a lot of time to breathe in between? Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, you just look at the standard um, excerpt list for auditions. I mean, it's just, everything is just a booby trap after the other. Like, it's just so hard, like uh, the Hindemith symphonic metamorphosis.
0: I remember in in high school, I played in the, in the high school band, I played brass instruments, but... Um the ladies who played piccolo and flute would often double up on a part because it would be so exhausting <contraceptives> mm. to do some of the intricate um that they would, you know, take turns playing only one part because of the of the difficulty involved. Is is
1: the flute known to be a difficult instrument? And I don't mean just learning to play it, but in that sense of that composers aren't really composing for it well? Because you think most orchestral composers they play the piano maybe they're familiar with the violin things like that but flutes and oboes and and trumpets and all they don't know these instruments is this is this common is it is it one of the you know less respected instruments
2: oh gosh that's <laughs> oh uh I don't like to think it's not a respected instrument, but I definitely have felt disrespected in the past by what I've been asked to play. Um,
1: Well, I mean, in terms of composition, I mean, you can tell that Bach knew the flute when you hear what he wrote, right? It sounds idiomatic, but there are other times when the flute seems to be either just an ornament or maybe something that the composer just wanted a color and isn't paying attention the same way as, say, to a violin.
2: It could be. I mean, it could be that instruments that require so much more of the body's engagement just feel a bit messier in a way. Yeah. So, mm. you know, bodies are leaky, messy things, and, uh, yeah. you know, everyone's a different shape and size. So, that you know, the, there's not really a standard length of time, and you could expect someone to be able to play Um some people put in sort of breath marks and and things like that. There are, yeah. you know, teachers will have very strong opinions where you can breathe or not. Uh, a lot of students are worried about doing the right thing, but obviously, my students, I just tell them to put their body first, and the rest will mm. follow one, once.
1: And, and if you're anxious and stressed, that makes it harder to breathe. Yeah. So. It sort of compounds it, doesn't it?
2: Exactly, and there's no way you can be sounding as resonant as, as, as you as you could if you're then worried about then having this shallow breathing. So I do think there's a lot of work to be done in in, and I hope that this project is one way of, of putting the body in in the spotlight in terms of performance and and the the human behind the instrument. And I think it's a lot of people have. Have reached out because, like you, they have their own um, breathing issues um, or hang-ups around breathing or, or performance, and they felt a little bit more empowered um, by using something that could be sort of a uh, seen as a disability or 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 even just a, a stumbling block for them, um, and 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 use that to, as a creative impetus than to make something absolutely personal and compelling.
1: One of the things that was mentioned in this program, now I'd heard about this before, but I didn't really understand how it worked, is circular breathing. Does this essentially mean that you just can keep playing and breathing without stopping to take a new in-breath? The human bagpipe, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that how it works? <laughs> and he mentioned, the person on the show mentioned Kenny G. Oh. I didn't know that this was, yep. I mean, I, I only know Kenny G, I really, since I left the States, before Kenny G started performing, I only know him from his hair and some photos I've seen. <laughs> is this is this his thing that he just like plays like an, an what is it the Ready Bunny or whatever it is? It was.
2: It's quite surprised. I didn't know that they were going to include him. That was quite quite <laughs> funny. Um, yeah. So circular breathing. Yeah, like you said, it's it's. Um, so it's storing up the air to in your cheeks so that you um that air is coming out while you're inhaling through your nose so like a, so you're not you're not literally not exhaling and inhaling at the same time
0: we used to have we used to have feats of strength in high school who can who can do this and some people could get away with doing it maybe 2 or 3 times and then your concentration is totally lost and you can't but if you're well practiced i've seen jazz musicians uh, do it just continuously play, uh, you know, nonstop without breathing, and they breathe the, the, the nose and the and the and the cheek thing. I think
2: when it's very refined, especially with saxophone, trumpet it, it instruments with a mouthpiece, yes. so you can do it much more elegantly than, yes. than on the flute, which is sort of yeah. You know, there's nothing there to yeah it, it can be a little bit gross <laughs> yeah.
1: but then that takes the breath out of the music and that takes the phrasing out of the music
2: i i definitely think that i don't circular breathe i these pieces are not for circular breathing they're they're just for the the, the one limitation you might be interested to know that i'm hopefully going to be going for the the title for the guinness book of world records for the longest sustained note on a wind instrument really uh, which is currently set by a clarinetist at 1 minute 13.
1: That's it? Wait, you said you can do like two and a half minutes?
2: Well, so this is a sustained uh, note, so I assume that's just an exhaled note. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's not as long as you might think, um, but I have the clearance to to do it. Uh, and I, I can do about 110 at the moment. Oh, no, I play a, a middle C. But, hold on, you <laughs> so said I'm, that you
1: were... Oh, is it is it harder for a sustained note? Because you said that you were, had some pieces that are more than two minutes on a single breath.
2: Yeah, so this is like it's not just one breath, it's sort of how long can you hold one note? So I think they're thinking uh you have to breathe in first. And then this time starts once they can hear the oh, note. Oh, I see. So yeah, it's I an see. Exhale.
1: Okay. Right. And also I guess in your pieces you can stop and breathe. And yeah. stop and breathe. It's it's one exhalation that you're doing. So yeah. Mm. So Okay, so we'll be able to say that we had the holder of Guinness Book of World Records for <laughs> longest sustained. So one, one minute 30. That doesn't seem like a lot, though. Because uh, I asked my shakuhachi teacher last week. She said that she can play like 50 seconds. She used to play flute before she played shakuhachi. She can play like 50 seconds.
2: Yeah, so 50 seconds is fine. But then when you have to think about having 30 more from that, it's quite a lot.
0: I also think people are used to it, You may be able to hold your breath for a longer time but when you're exhaling you know there's there's pressure going on there it doesn't really seem like there it would be an easy thing to do and then if you can only go to 50 and you can only go to and and your uh, i'm sorry your teacher can only go to 50 it seems to me that that's probably about the limit anything other than that is going to be olympic uh caliber so it's
2: the exhalation process in the body that exactly so like um when i when we could go to pool sessions with my my free diving club. You know, people were training for competitions and would just sort of go straight down and six minutes, seven minutes. Uh it, and obviously they're just holding their breath. Um there are but different they're not
0: types exhaling. They're not, they're not exhaling, exhaling down below in the pool, right?
2: No, there are different types of, of free dives. So you could do it on a full breath, so breathe in as much as you can and then down, or an exhale dive, which I actually prefer, which is where you've got nothing. Right. Uh, and, or very little um, air, and then you you go. Uh, and then it's a whole mental process as well. It's, it's scary. You know, It's a lot of, of things to overcome because you're perceived.
1: Yeah, I lived in France for a long time, and there was that famous free diver. I think he died in an accident. And the, every time he tried for a new record, it made the news. And you would get all these people explaining what it was all about, you know. So he would go down with the weights and with the divers all around ready to save him. And it looks scary.
0: He didn't come up the last time? Is that what you're saying?
1: I'm not sure if that's how he died, oh, okay. um, honestly. But So I would think, though, that if you're trying to play a sustained note, you have two problems. One is you want to make your embouchure as tight as possible, right? To let as little air out as possible. But the other is that as you're exhaling... It seems to me in my limited experience that holding your breath is very different from exhaling as you're exhaling I think CO2 seems to build up more and so you end up like gasping for breath if you do it too long.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you can do. Um I guess that's why it's important to train in a very sensible way. So
1: Yeah. And you can't cheat doing circular breathing no, for this. No, so it, the rules are very very
2: strict. You have to I think you have to wear a nose clip in oh order to do it. Um, so I have yes. a nose clip that from one of my asthma appointments I kept it. <laughs> um, yeah, you need to
1: get used to that too. That that presence there
2: to, to train with that, and there's also a minimum um, decibels. It has to be a certain volume. Ah, uh, fair point. So,
1: but it can be any note. Any
2: note, yeah. So I I think at the moment I like a middle C. Uh, there's the least resistance in the tube, but yeah, I'm still playing around with the choices. Okay.
1: Well, Catherine, I hope you'll let us know when this is going course, to happen, because yeah. this, this sounds quite exciting. Thank you so much for joining us, because I never really paid attention to the breath that much until I started playing an instrument where the breath is important. And I think anyone who doesn't play flute, saxophone, whatever, doesn't really think about it. So thank you. And do, do let us know when you get that record.
2: <laughs> well, fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, it's been really fun to uh, chat with you guys.
0: Perhaps you have noticed that we do not have ads during our podcast, and that's because we don't want ads in our podcast. We don't want to track down advertisers. We don't want to have to do the paperwork. We don't want to do the spreadsheets. And most of all, we just don't want to dilute the content that we would just prefer doing. So instead of having advertisers, we depend on you to help support uh, the production that we do of the show. You can uh, contribute by visiting patreon.com slash and Make a donation of a couple of bucks a month. That'd be great. Thanks. We are now ready to report our next tracks. Kirk? Okay. For my
1: next track, I've selected some new recordings by The Grateful Dead. Not new, but newly released or updated. And so, 50 years ago, The Grateful Dead in 1970 did this big sort of... They hit a fork in the road, and they they kind of stopped with the the loud psychedelic, heavy R&B, rhythmic music, they went into the studio and they recorded two albums, Working Man's Dead and American Beauty. These two albums are almost essentially acoustic music. I think the story is that when they were in the studio, in the next studio over, Crosby, Stills, and Nash were there, and they taught the Dead how to do these harmonies. So Working Man's Dead has a song like Uncle John's Band, which is just that same kind of harmony that you hear in Crosby, Stills, Nash, With or Without Young. A lot of these songs sound old. Like Cumberland Blues is a, an interesting anecdote I once read that someone said, oh man, if those old Union people could hear the Grateful Dead playing their song. And it's like sounds like a Union song, but obviously it was a Grateful Dead original. Casey Jones, which was uh, obviously a big hit at the time, you know, driving that train high on cocaine. Working Man's Dead has just been released in a 50th anniversary deluxe edition. So you've got remasters of the eight songs, but you also have a concert from 221, 1971 at the Capitol Theater. As Grateful Dead concerts go, it's very good. It's not the best. It's always good to have another Grateful Dead concert. You can never have too many, right? In addition to that, they released digitally, and I don't think they're even selling this. I think it's only on the streaming platform. An album called Working Man's Dead, The Angel's Share. Do you know what The Angel's Share is? The Angel's Share is a term in distilling when they're making whiskey or brandy. It's the bit that evaporates through the cask into the air and gets lost. So they consider that, you know, that belongs to the angels. So The Angel's Share is outtakes. It's false starts, breakdowns, complete tracks, breakdown one, take three breakdowns, studio chatter, take seven breakdown. False starts, not slated, breakdown, et cetera. It's, yeah, you get the you get the thing. So there's a couple of interesting things. I'm I'm not really a fan of this. You know, there was that Dylan set a few years ago that it was actually quite interesting because he was essentially composing the songs or at least arranging them in the studio. It's two and a half hours long. You might want to listen to it once, and you won't want to listen to it again. But Working Man's Dead, 50th Anniversary Edition, you're definitely going to want to listen to. I'm assuming they're going to come out with a 50th Anniversary Edition of American Beauty later this year. I believe it was November 1970 when American Beauty came out. So, Doug, over to you.
0: I found a great album that is fun to listen to. It is by the Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. It's it's three people in this band. They do... Well, let me put it to you this way. This is the sort of band that you would hire to play before a hillbilly re- tent revival meeting. Uh, but I say that as if they're a joke. They're not. They do some very sincere, uh, hardcore Delta blues, foot stomping gospel, uh, you know, uh, righteous indignation spouting, uh, toe tapping. I don't know what to call it, but it is a uh, wonderful music, a guitar player and a drummer and a washboard player. So I guess you could kind of say it's like a jug band, but it's not. It's, uh, they attempt to do, uh, geez, some, some great uh, arrangements of, of good old Delta blues and gospel. And it's the kind of music that really sets your foot a stomping. It just seems that it has that kind of energy. It's, it, it propels itself. It's really great. Um, A lot of the music reminded me of of Charlie Patton, and it turns out when I read about this band that they also were very much influenced by Charlie Patton. If you don't know, Charlie Patton is, uh, well, the Delta blues guitar player, and um, you know he's the type of guy where they only have one picture of him. You know, he recorded in the twenties and thirties. There's only one picture of him, and it's on every album ever recorded. Well, that's a Charlie Patton kind of invented this hollerin' sort of gospel blues stompin' boogie uh, sound that has influenced so many people, and including uh, the Reverend Payton's Big Damn Band, which I found out not only is this album Poor Until Payday terrific, they have eight other albums that I can listen to that are chock full of the same kind of stuff. And the album covers are pretty exquisite, too. The Reverend Payton's Big Damn Band, Poor Until Payday, is my next track. This was episode number 188 of The Next Track. You can start or join a conversation in the comments of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit TheNextTrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget, you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit Patreon.com slash TheNextTrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.